Okay, I just need to pause for a second because I've got a thing in my throat. I just need a sip of water. I swallowed a fly yesterday. <coughs> it's been buggy. I'm like, this. I think it scratched me on the way down. I was riding my bike. Hey there, financial explorers, and welcome back to another spicy episode of the Finance Burrito. Uh, for any newcomers out there, my name is Tom Watson, and each fortnight, my co-host, Liv G, and I attempt to untangle the web of interest rates and debt and income and purchasing power that is personal finance. That is the aim of our Audible game, isn't it? We have we have fun doing it, I think. And um, <laughs> while we occasionally forego our budgets for a bit of a splurge, um, Tom and I, we're pretty into money management because we're both actually finance journalists at comparison website mozo.com.au. Yes, we are. Uh, and this week, we're going to focus primarily on the money-making side of things. So we'll investigate how people are earning a little extra cash on the side during COVID, plus the highs and lows of building a budding side hustle. So probably something that a lot of people uh, are doing right now. And mm. to explore that even more, I'll be uh, chatting with a bit of an old hand at uh, the old side hustling game. Yes. And then to round things out, we're going to flip the coin completely because fun. And uh, we'll confess some of our most regrettable purchases because, you know, you can't be responsible and work all day long. you got to have some fun. Totally. Uh, you know, we all need to revel in some party time purchases from time to time. But first, let's dig into the meat. So this is the uh, the first bite of the finance burrito, and it's where we share some juicy facts and figures on a hot money topic. And this week, we're kicking off with something that's very close to my heart, and that is finding and selling secondhand bargains. Yeah, if there's one thing that this podcast has taught me so far is that you're all about frugality and you love a deal, right? I love a deal, love a bargain. I'll, I'll go to the ends of the earth for it. <laughs> Um, so I found some data from Gumtree, actually, which caught my eye this week. And it's from a report that they've just put out about their online marketplace specifically, um, and also just sort of about the secondhand economy in general. But some of the um, some of the really standout figures um, were that most Aussies are halving the cost of the goods that they're buying by choosing pre-loved instead of new items. So we're saving heaps wow. off the bat. That's a good place to start, right? Mm. But then we're also making bank, and that's particularly people our age, so the younger folk out there, we are killing it as sellers and making, on average, around three grand more through the secondhand sales than other households who are a little bit older. So that's very what? exciting. I need to get on that. Right? We're kicking ass. 3K. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> yeah, more. So overall, it was something more like 8,000. Um, but then overall, um, so that's younger people, people of all ages, around 42% of people are now more likely to sell items through platforms like Gumtree due to COVID-19. So we're really, we're getting on the bandwagon. And all of these numbers, they don't even include other major platforms like um, Facebook Marketplace and eBay and stuff like that. So it's really, it's taking off even in just this one company, but then you imagine that sort of spreading across the internet and it's huge. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I guess that, that last point really makes sense as well, right? Like everyone's been stuck inside, they're staring at the stuff, their junk that's in their homes and probably thinking like, hey, I don't need this stuff. It's blocking mm. up the space. Yeah. Plus, you know, who doesn't 
love a little bit of extra money if they can get their hands on it. So yeah, I guess we're we're just really expert salespeople, you know, the, totally. the younger demographic. <laughs> Indeed. And I find actually this is from a, a friend who's a little bit older, but um she did something very savvy in the the sort of lead up to a, before COVID hit Australia. So like in February, mm. she kind of looked at the global situation and she was like, okay, look, gyms are closing down, you know, dance studios, exercise classes are going to be, they're going to be all cut off. And she was like, look, I'm going to go on Gumtree and buy up a whole lot of exercise equipment. So like dumbbells, exercise bikes, rowing machines, like quite a lot, quite a good hoard. And she was like, I'm going to sell this back in a couple of months and make a mint. And she did. And it was kind of like, is this evil or is this super savvy and super smart? And she made like, she doubled the money that she spent on it. And I was just like, this is bloody fantastic. Jeez. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah it's a little bit sneaky, but you've mm. got to give her props, right? That is, you know, just to have that, that foresight to be able to do that. Totally. But there's plenty of other ways to make money on the side, right? You know, whether it's selling unloved mm. clothes or furniture online or using your own professional knowledge or, your, you know, your hobby to make a buck. Like I've got a mate whose wife is really into pole dancing. Sick. Um, she's, yeah, she's been it for <laughs> years. She's really good at it. And then she ends up teaching it on the side. Um as like a second job basically and yeah she's really really killing it yeah fantastic yeah I've had I've had a go in the the freelancing game actually as a writer although it was a bit before things got a whole lot more kind of complicated and and competitive in the COVID world but um yeah it was um, a really interesting adventure as well what were the what were the hard bits about that because I imagine there were some (sighs) Yeah, so I mean, the the writing and pitching is something that I've done before, so that wasn't the hard stuff, but it was actually learning how to be a financial manager, which Ah, is... The irony. (laughs) So relevant to what we're doing now. Um, And there was so much that I'd like never done before in this world, whether it was like writing an invoice. I just, I looked it up on a word template. I was like, how do you write an invoice? Is there a word template for it? Is it just like insert your numbers? There's a word template for everything. Of course. But then also like following up on late payments, dealing with international transfers and sort of like knowing what kind of business you are, if you need to pay GST or need an official name. There's there's so much that goes into it. And, And unless you're sort of hiring out your services as a freelance accountant, there's so much, there's so much to learn that I had no idea about. Yeah, I, I mean, I bet. And I guess some of those things are, are, are basics that are necessary across mm. the board, um, you know, in terms of the financials and the, the practical stuff. Um, but then other stuff's going to be different depending on whatever opportunity you're taking on as well. Exactly. There's no one-sized hat, but, you know, that's a bit of an entrepreneurial idea right there. Do you wear a hat when you're an entrepreneur? Now, in winter, a beanie. I love a beanie. <laughs> Beanies are one size, generally. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> um, so I guess whatever product or idea you're selling, it seems like side hustles are on the upright. And, mm. well, good old ASIC, the Australian Securities and Investment Commission, actually has some data on this. So they saw that more than 200,000 mm. new business names uh, were registered in the first six months of 2020, which is up more than 10% on the same period last year, which is which is huge considering, you know, what everyone's gone through at, in the first yeah. part of this year. 
I do wonder, I was thinking about this, if um, whether the majority of those people are supplementing an existing income mm. or if they're sort of venturing into it with no fallback. Because I know just anecdotally from my life, I feel like I've heard of a fair few people starting up a side project like this recently, but it's sort of in addition to their day job rather than people who've lost work completely. Maybe they've had hours reduced and they've got more time or even they're just doing it because they have more time in general. I don't, yeah, it doesn't, I'm not really sure where, where those people would be coming from in those, in that 10% extra. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure either. I don't know the answer to that question, but I'd, mm. I'd imagine it's a combination of the both, right? Um, mm. But, you know, it teases up very nicely because for today's source, we're actually talking about side gigging, side projecting, side hustling um, with a with a bit of an expert um, in terms of that. Uh, I had the pleasure of uh, of chatting with Kitty Humphreys, and Kitty is she's based outside of Melbourne, and she's had multiple different side hustles over the years. So she was kind of the perfect person to talk to about the ups and downs and the ins and outs of having a side hustle, starting one up, keeping one going, uh, all the bits and bobs. So uh, here's our chat. Kitty, could you maybe give us a, a, a rundown of your most recent side hustle? Uh, what were you doing and how did you come up with the idea in the first place? Uh, okay. My most recent one was a dried flower shop. So I started doing a certificate in floristry. And I kind of started to feel out that there was just this this gap missing and it was dried flowers. And I really felt like Melbourne needed a little shop with full of dried flowers. And I thought, well, maybe I was crazy enough to be the one that came up with it and did it. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out it was actually really successful and I was crazy enough to do it. And I dried all the flowers myself um, I'd go to the flower market twice a week. Yeah, so, and, and go and buy the flowers and then go to the shop and dry them and then, and then do arrangements. And I'd also get orders to send them to other florists. So, so yeah, so that one was about for, for just over 12 months. And, and was that something that just kind of uh, came to you on a whim or was it something that you'd been doing yourself as a, as a hobby or something that you were interested in before? So I was always interested in flowers, but no, it definitely just came to me as a, at a whim. So I'd started the floristry course and in the job that I was doing, um, the lady who I was working for, she said, oh, you know, if you want to, if you want to just lease out a little corner of my shop, that's, that's, you know, you're more than welcome to do that. And it just kind of went from there. And I kind of realized flowers wasn't going to work like just flowers is, by themselves because they're quite high maintenance mm. and I have to be there a lot, you know, and I just couldn't put in that time because the commute to get to this little shop was over an hour. So I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do about this? I can't miss this opportunity. And yeah, so dried flowers, it was, it was just at a really good time. So it was just when dried flowers were kind of starting to become more fashionable again. And it went hand in hand with me not having to like, be there all the time and, and change the water in the bars or make sure they weren't dead. Well, they were dead, but make sure they, you know, they weren't dying in the water. 
Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> this was dead flowers, but you know, they were meant to look like that. <laughs> I feel like dead flowers might not have the same kind of um, you know, selling point as, no. as dried flowers. Yeah. No, unless it was like for punk rockers. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I like that. Hey, that's that's a side side hustle potentially. Yeah. <laughs> that's a sub subgenre. <laughs> <laughs> so so who are you uh who are you selling them to out of interest? Was it just people that would pass by that would come yeah. into the, the store? Or did you have kind of online orders? How how did that work? So it did. I I where well, I did rely on Instagram a lot. Um for to get out there a little bit, you know, hashtagging and and that kind of thing. Florists actually um, started coming to me because there wasn't a lot of dried flowers being sold at the flower market mm. at that time. But now, now you can go and there's just these huge sections of dried flowers and they're coming from Japan, they're coming from overseas. So they're really up their game with that. But, um, but yeah, it was a lot of people that were already shopping within the shop. And, uh, and yeah, so then it kind of just grew. But since I couldn't be there a lot, it was really hard to to uh, to create that customer base, that mm. local community customer base. So how much time would you say you dedicated towards it every week or would that change? Um, well, I probably would have dedicated three days because because um, I had my daughter in at daycare for two days. So I'd use those two days up and then I'd also go on on Saturday. But I was it was it was hard because my husband does shift work, mm. so it was juggling between him and a and a two year old at the time. And I, I uh, really interested in this. So, was your motivation purely as you know, citing this as a way to make some extra cash, or was it was the passion and the interest and the creative outlet part of it as well? Yeah, I would say the main motivation was um, was the creative outlet. I just couldn't let someone else do it once i'd come up with the idea i was like i have to do this this has to be mine and it has to have a big floral wall and i need to make that as well and i've got to do it and but then i also kind of i'm just so obsessed with getting better in floristry that i just wanted to use that as a portfolio really and it's it's a bit of a hard one to get into floristry and was it a success? Was was the business a success, and why did you stop it in the end? Um, I think it was a success actually, uh, because there was no losses in the first year. We actually made a profit, so that wow, was... that's not always the case, is it? No, I mean you know you look at that and people people were making money for the first three years, which to me like I wouldn't be able to commit to that. Mm. Like, I just would not be able to keep digging myself into debt or just sitting in debt to have a business. So yeah, so it, it broke even and it made profit. So, and I, yeah, so I was able to pay myself, but I just couldn't keep going with the pressure of having, um, having two kids really. And that huge commute. I just didn't really want to put a little kid into um, a little baby into daycare, mm. which was just my choice. Of course. So, so it wasn't necessarily the, the business itself at all. Um, no, it wasn't. It was shocking to people that I said I was stopping. <laughs> and I actually had a lot of people contact me, mothers contact me saying, good on you. Like, you've got your let, you've, you know, your foot in the door. Most people would kind of like burn the candle at both ends, but you've put one thing, you know, first. You made your choice and you walked away, but you still, you know, yeah. came, out, came out of it um, successful as well. Yeah, so I'm I'm happy with how it went. 
Um, but I'm, I'm definitely not keen to keep drying flowers. It needs a lot of space. <laughs> this wasn't your first side hustle though, was it? No, it wasn't. So my first side hustle was, um, I feel like I've always had two jobs, but, uh, but it, my first one was uh, market stalls, uh, selling crochet and weaving. So I had that at Rose Street Market in Fitzroy in Melbourne. Okay, yeah. So I did that on Saturdays. So I would uh, drive in with my car full of crochet and weavings and I would set up early and I would just sit there all day and, and sell and make. And it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed watching people and selling and talking to people. So again, was the that that kind of side, the social side, the creative side, more of the driving factor for you rather than the the economic side? Yeah, yeah, it's always it's always the driving factor. I just can't not create. Like throughout lockdown and throughout isolation, I've just been making. I just make, make, make. So yeah. so yeah, it was definitely. I kind of actually had to start it because I would crochet and I had no one else to give it to. <laughs> oh, so you had a surplus. <laughs> yeah, so I was kind of like, I really, no one needs this baby rattle or no one needs this teddy bear that I've made. I really should start <laughs> selling it to strangers. <laughs> and and how did it go? Were you, were you successful? Did people at the market, you know, buy, yeah, buy your waste? Yeah. Um, it's a hard one selling crochet because there's just no value in the artwork, you mm. know, so because of the grandma element, you know, the homemade, you can get it at the op shop or everyone's grandma can make it. Mm. So it really brings the price down. So no one really wants to pay what it's worth, you know, as in how much time you spent on it. So that was a, that was a reason to kind of wrap things up. Mm. Yeah, so it was a success, but to me it wasn't because I was only just breaking. I mean, I wasn't even breaking even because I couldn't pay myself for my time. Right. So you so you'd make it uh, for the stuff that you sold, but not more than that. Yeah, you'd you'd make it for the the cost of the materials. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. I I kind of get the feeling having having done a little bit of research about uh, side hustles that. Especially on Instagram, that um, that some people have like a really romantic view of them of side hustles, um, especially the more creative ones. But what are the the kind of nitty gritty parts to running one? I guess especially with your uh, your dried flower business, um, were there things that you had to pick up that you had to learn along the way, which you just had no idea about? Um, yeah, I'm not good with tax. So that's something that I had to learn. And, <laughs> and probably had to pay, I assume. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I nearly got to a stage where I was like, I just want to make under $18,000 this year because I don't want to do the tax. <laughs> you know, and that's quite lazy. Like, that's not the kind of frame of mind my husband was keen on me having. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really not my forte. Um, and... What else? Um, one thing I really wish I knew how to do would be um, graphic design on the computer because paying for logos and paying for all of that is really expensive. And finding people that can do your logo or any, you know, anything like that, even if your web design or is 
is really is really hard to find them and then um, to make sure they actually even look like how you want them to look you know so you might find them but they might have a completely different style that you want so so that was one thing that I was kind of time consuming because you kind of want to go into a side hustle looking good you don't want it just to look budget because people aren't going to pay the money mm, you've got to look the part right you do have to look the part you know so people go home with the thing that you've made and it makes them feel good you know they feel like they've had a day out and, and they've got this cute thing and you need to make sure that you know um that your stickers or your packaging all kind of plays into that because that is really how why people you know part with their cash it's the feel good factor so did that that the kind of admin sides, the mm -hmm. the setup, the initial setup, the, the the tax, you know, the other admin parts. Did that did that take a while for you to set up, or did that take a while for you to do as as part of running the side hustle, or, or was that just a smaller part of it? Yeah, it does, and it's kind of like um, which like you're trying to set it up, but then you also need those things at the same time. Um, to set up and to open. So they do, they do take a bit of time, but they're also kind of fun in, in a way, you know, coming up with your logo and, and your quotes that you want on, you know, maybe it's a stamp that you're doing. But the worst part is probably doing your website by yourself. So you did that all yourself. Did did you uh, yeah. recruit like friends or family or someone else to, to help you out to give you guidance or was it literally a do-it-yourself no, kind of job? No, it, was, it was a do-it-myself. The, the funny thing with side hustles and thinking that your family want to help, they really don't <laughs> because they are not like, their time is precious too. And they're like, hey, look, if, if you want to do that, like maybe I'll give you an, an hour one weekend while, you know, you need to go to the toilet and have lunch and I'll look after your store. But that's really about it. Otherwise, it's kind of up to you. It, that's that's a really interesting thought and probably another one where people which people might not necessarily think of um if they've got an idea in mind or wanting to start one is that you can't rely on other people because it's no. yours at the end of the day right yeah it's yours they're not going to give it as much effort um they might they don't have like whatever you're doing whatever you're executing it's all a vision that's in your head you're like this is how i want it to look and this is the feeling I want it to have, you know, and you can't really like sometimes when you hand that over, it's, it's quite a hard thing to do. Mm. Aside from taxes, <laughs> is there, is there anything, is there one thing about starting a business that people may think is really easy to do, but is actually super difficult or time consuming or tricky in some way? Well, this one, it's obvious. I, I don't know, but it might not be obvious. It's actually your business name. Oh. Yeah. It really needs to be good. So with my craft um, crochet one, I really liked the name that I gave it. But with the flowers, it just didn't say what I was doing. You know, so you might read the name and it and it you couldn't read the name and then know exactly what the business was. What were the names, Kitty? So with my crochet one, it was hook, not needle, because when you, 
when you crochet, you use a hook rather than a needle when you're knitting. I love it. Yep. And the knot, because there's a lot of knots. Oh, I totally missed that. Oh, yeah, I'm so an idiot. It's, it's a knot with a K. Yeah. Probably so would have seen one, that and got it. Yeah. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that. That one, that one brought me like I enjoyed creating that one. I kind of woke up and I was like, that's the name. <laughs> but with the other one, it was um I actually started the flowers by I was growing. I didn't actually refer to that before. I used to grow flowers in my backyard to sell to florists. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're doing that yourself. Yeah. So I was doing it myself. I, I really don't like grass. <laughs> I was like, if grass is useless, we need to put flowers in there for the bees. So I started doing that and I called it Bloemboer, which means flower grower in, um, or flower farmer in Dutch because my um, family is from Holland. Okay. But I kind of just kept the name when I moved into dry, dry flowers and it didn't work. So I would really, like my bigger, biggest advice there is, you know, because it's as soon as someone says the name, you know, on Instagram or, you know, passing by, they'll know whether they want to walk in or interact with your business or not. It's that key. It's that crucial. It's that yep. upfront. Yeah, part of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I, because from there, you know, so many things kind of fall from there. That's really great <laughs> advice. It's, it's not something I would have thought. I would have thought that would have been the kind of the the easy first thing, the satisfying thing to do is to, to think of the name. But it's obviously yeah. a lot harder and uh, that seems a lot like more the, important. Yeah, it feels like the cute part, doesn't it? You know, like mm. that's the easy cute part, and from there you you're rolling. But but yeah. I would say that to me is one of the, the most important things. As a last question, if we can end on a maybe a happy note. Mm -hmm. So what are the best moments that you've had with your side hustles or best moment? You know, maybe something that was really satisfying or rewarding that came out of it. Uh, I think it's all really rewarding. I, I get a lot of... Um, there's like that feeling, that excitement and that adrenaline that comes from it, you know, looking at it and going, that's exactly what I imagined or, or selling something that you created and someone else likes. Like that is huge. That is like a buzz that will just keeps on giving. And like I took photos of the people that first bought the flowers in the shop. It's like, oh my God, let me take a photo. <laughs> like I just thought, I was just so appreciative of them, you know? So I think that, yeah, that's the best. That's just, there's just so many of those moments of interacting with people and making them smile. That's brilliant. What, what a lovely memory to have as well. Yeah, yeah, really enjoy it. We'll leave it there, but that has been incredibly insightful. So Kitty, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. I love that she's afraid of tax as much as I am. It's so <laughs> complicated, like right? I knew you could wait. <laughs> I feel like maybe everyone that isn't a finance expert starting out from this, uh, the, the worst thing they encounter is the money side of it. So that's so reassuring. It's and like, I totally get the keeping it under 18K to not have to deal with it. <laughs> so good. Yes. But also that your family doesn't want to help. I really, I really feel that like, people don't necessarily want to hear about you struggling with the the extra thing you're doing 
or head to the market. But um, yeah, yeah, I guess to... I guess that makes sense, right? Like you did, like Kitty was saying, you could you could maybe convince someone to come in and help you out for a couple of hours or something like mm. that. But you can't be relying on people to do that because they've got their own stuff to do as well. Totally, and um, yeah, it's good to to commiserate, but also I feel like Kitty gave us a renewed sense of inspiration. But it's also good to get a shot of a healthy, awkward reality. (laughs) And uh, we're going to do that right now by spilling the beans. This is the fun and final part of each episode where we sort of lay our cards on the table and share some money confessions. Yes, that is right. And today, you know, today we're going to be talking about something that everyone can get around. Regret purchases. Something that you have bought which you regret. Yes, the sting of the too tight jumpsuit. You can never get that ratio of leg to top right. (laughs) Or the expensive fishing rod that you just never use. I've actually done that. I've bought a fishing rod today. Fantastic. What would you say, Tom? What's the biggest buy you've regretted wholeheartedly besides the fishing rod? Uh, Yeah, besides the fishing rod. Um, (laughs) Well, it might not be the biggest purchase. I couldn't think of anything like massive, massive. But but a bit of a regret. Yeah, okay. Definitely a bit of regret was uh, a couple of years ago when I was in uni, I went online and bought some Calvin Klein undies. Ooh, classics. Yeah, great. (laughs) <laughs> you know, expensive, but these weren't expensive. These were $80 for a 10-pack because I bought okay. them off eBay from some random Chinese seller. And Perfect. they got here and they were just like, just terrible. They were totally small. The size was wrong. The material was something that I didn't even think you could make undies out of. It was, like swimsuit were, material, just casually. <laughs> they were just terrible. I mean, they said Calvin Klein on them, but they were the yeah. worst knockoffs ever. Just spelt a little bit incorrectly. That, That's oh, a classic. Yeah, a classic. I know you I was buying these as knockoffs, but they were, yeah. they were so bad. So yeah, definitely <laughs> lesson learned. Uh, yeah. Always buy your undies from you know, a reliable <laughs> source. Yes, safe, safety. Or and just don't buy them at all. <laughs> I think I feel like I can one up you, unfortunately. Oh, it's dear. unfortunately because it's a huge regret. So it's this my biggest regret is the second car I purchased. And I kind of I think it was a, a Daihatsu, but like real old, like they shouldn't have been on the road anymore. So it was my second car, and I was like, yeah, I can buy this second hand because I'd bought my first car second hand and it was an absolute dream and I loved it. And I'd sold it to go traveling. And then I, when I came home, I needed like a stopgap ride just to get around, to go to work and stuff. So I bought a very, very cheap one without getting a bit of a more car savvy mate to have a look over it for me. Oh, like no. I can, yeah, I can fill up oil and change the windscreen wiper fluid, but I don't know a whole lot. And basically within a month, it had had an oil leak um, without me realizing it. I'd driven it on the highway for an hour and it literally just, it just stopped. It just blew up in smoke and we were stuck on um, the side of the road for four hours on a way to uh, a New Year's Eve party. So for four hours, didn't make it to the party, had a big cry, but yeah, it was, it was, well, it's not the most expensive car. It was a huge regret because at the time it was, I was like 19. I didn't have a lot of money and it was very oh, that upsetting. That is huge. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I feel like you're that, like your Homer out of that episode where of the Simpsons, where he goes and buys that like discounted car from some like Russian or Eastern European import it and he's like, put it in edge. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's, that's a much, yeah. that's a much bigger. That's what happened. 
uh, you know, regret than my underpants story. Um, mm. But you know, once again, we uh, we asked our brains trust at the at the Mozo office to spill their own beans and to see what they'd come up with, and we had a, a few pretty outrageous regrets. Um, one definitely caught my eye though from an unnamed source, um, mm. who <laughs> so she this unnamed source, had a gym membership at uni and it was $15 a week um, with classes involved, I should say. So uh, a really good deal, right? Like that is mm, super, fat. super cheap. Um, Especially at uni. You want to be getting a good deal like that. But she left uni and she thought, oh, you know, I'll keep this because it's such a good deal. But it wasn't anywhere close to where she lived. Uh, and mm. so she just ended up not using it, costing her a total of... $1,500 over two years before she Ooh. ended up stopping. You tell, tell you what, that's uh, that's more than the car that I uh, bought and exploded. So that's pretty, that's pretty full on. Yeah, that is painful. That is <laughs> Just painful. A, a slow burn, a much slower burn that's than just a like car that, that explosion. That steady drip of money just going yeah. down the drain, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we better stop dwelling on the past because I feel like a lot of these purchases are things we've done when we're young and foolish. Hopefully we're doing better now, maybe not. But um, we better wrap up the chat today what do you reckon tom yeah definitely i've got to go and uh, look for some undies online because i still haven't been able to afford some since then oh yes get get hunting <laughs> anyway uh instead uh let's look forward to uh to another episode of the finance burrito uh in a fortnight yes and until then um share some love by rating and subscribing to the podcast or find some more financial fun on our facebook page or instagram yeah and the instagram page is really going you know, super well. Lots of people jumping on there. So um, thanks to everyone Hot that has counts. already. And, you know, if you haven't, mm. go and check it out. Um, and, of course, a big thank you, as always, to the team behind the audio. So Jebra and Jada, our researchers, uh, Claire, our producer, and Rihanna, our social guru. Um, so thank you to all those guys and uh, to everyone listening. Look forward to uh, being back in the years in two weeks' time. Yeah, thanks, guys. Laters. Ciao. Just remember, as Mozo writers, we're providing general financial product information. So we're not taking into account your specific financial situation, needs, or personal objectives. We are not recommending any specific product to you. The best advice we can give you is to make your own financial decisions or seek out independent advice. This podcast was brought to you by mozo.com.au.